Isn't God good? You know, I, I want to tell you about, uh, in reference to that, that you know, offering, um, I grew up being raised with two realities. Number one, when we do something for the Lord, we should do our best to do it with excellence because it's for him. And number two, that God doesn't fall off the throne when we mess it up. And those are two very valuable points to put together because I had to learn that uh, God wants you to practice. God wants you to put your best effort into it. You're doing it for him. When you do it for the Lord, you do it with, with excellence. You do your best for it. But I also learned that sometimes things don't work out the way you thought they would, and God still keeps moving. He doesn't say, well, that's it, you're done. And uh, we grew up, um, uh, I grew up often traveling with my, my dad, primarily with my, both my parents, but primarily my dad, and we'd go to um, some places that, you know, you just had to fly by the seat of your pants and, and be led by the Spirit more, more, more likely. You had to be led by the Spirit in all things. And there were times where you didn't prepare to sing, but you had to sing. You didn't prepare to preach, but you had to preach. I've got friends right now that uh, if you don't give them a week... Now, I'm not, I understand if you don't preach regularly, but I've got friends that preach every week. And if you don't give them a week's preparation, tell them they're preaching, they panic. They're not ready. And we had to learn that uh, you've got to be instant in season and out. It's good to prepare. I'm not talking about being lazy. It's good to prepare. But you also have to get to the point where you trust the Holy Spirit enough uh, that you're ready. And my dad said to me when I was 16 years old, and we were in a remote reserve in northern Manitoba, one of those ones that you had to fly into to get to. And uh, we were in a bit of a, a shack, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I, you know, I had, uh, at that point, could play a couple instruments. And so Dad sometimes would use me to uh, play on the spot. Or sometimes you'd be asked by somebody else or asked to speak. And Dad said to me at a young age, he said, Jonathan, uh, if you're going to be a missionary... You have to be willing to do three things at any time, to sing, to preach, or to die. He says, if you're willing to do those, you'll be fine. <laughs> now, he told me that, you know, you're probably not going to die. You're right. You're right. But uh, we went into every situation knowing that God was going to take care of us and protect us, but also willing to give our life, you know, not, not afraid of death and willing that if the, if the situation ever called to it, I'd be glad to give my life for Jesus. But more than likely, I never had an opportunity where I had to give my life physically for Jesus, but I had plenty of opportunities where you had to just buck up and, and sing or preach when you didn't expect to sing or preach. And so thank God his spirit is with you during those times, because those are times where you tend to panic and say, I can't do this. I want to remind you as, as let's turn in our Bibles to second Corinthians five, but just to segue into this, I want to remind you of what Jesus said to his disciples. Jesus said to his disciples, as he sent them out, it wasn't a fun little warning. It was quite a serious warning. He says, I send you out as sheep, sheep among wolves. And he said, there's going to be a time where people turn against you and they're going to persecute you. He, told you. he said, even your brothers, even your relatives are going to turn you into the authorities. He said, there'll be a time when they take you and they put you in front of their courts. Now, normally we'd think that'd be a bad thing, right? I don't want to go to court. I don't want to be put on trial. But he said, this is a good thing because it will lead to an opportunity for you to witness. It'll lead to an opportunity for your testimony. 
And like I've said before, the Apostle Paul used this beautifully, right? Some of his best messages, Peter too, some of their best messages were preached standing before a court on trial because when you're on trial, these guys have to listen to what you have to say. So he used it. But Jesus said this, and I want you to remember this, and I know most of you know this. But Jesus said to them, even though some of them would be put on trial and the sentence was going to be death if they lost the trial. He said this, don't prepare. He said, make up your mind beforehand not to prepare a defense for yourself. For in that hour, I'll give you what you have to say. That would have been very tough for us, wouldn't it? You're on trial. I mean, we're not talking about like a slap on the wrist, a fine. I'm talking about people that might get their heads chopped off in the morning. You don't want to think a little bit the night before about what you're going to say when you stand before the, the court? I sure, that's where my mind would be going. I wouldn't be thinking, you know, I just love peanut butter. I just really love it. I, I love its texture. Not the smooth. I like the chunky. I, you know, and that, I, that wouldn't be occupying my mind all night. What I'd be thinking of is tomorrow I may face life and death. I better come up with a good argument. But he said, make up your mind that you don't do that, because if you do that, then the words you're going to say are your best argument, and that doesn't win the day. He said, make up your mind not to, to, to uh, think about that beforehand or to prepare a defense, for in that hour, I will give you what to say, and it won't be your words, it'll be my words. Well, that's cool. That's powerful. And I recognize that the scripture uh, instructs us to study, to show ourselves approved, and, and to, to get into the Word and know the Word so that at any moment you're prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. I recognize that as, as pastors, that doesn't mean that you just go, eh, I don't really need to prepare. You know, you, you pray, you need to seek the Lord on what He has to say. But I think some of us need to be more comfortable and I understand I'm saying this as somebody that stands up and talks a lot, so I'm used to it. So I know that that gives you a bit of an advantage when, when you two, two days, three days, four days out of the week, you're up and preaching. It gives you a bit of an advantage because, you know, you're used to, to talking a lot, used to putting thoughts into words. But I think for all of us, we've got to get to the point where we trust the Holy Spirit enough to know that in a moment where we're going to need it, he will fill our mouth with the proper words. I'm going to quote some scriptures to you, and I trust that you can check back and look them up. Don't think, he's not, he's not reading any scripture. I'm going to quote some to you. I'm going to remind you about the story of Philip in, in Acts chapter 8. You can read that story later. When Acts chapter 8, Philip catches up with the Ethiopian. You know that he starts that journey. It's a, it's, it's a, a long desert road, and he starts that journey not knowing where he's going. An angel simply says to him, God's telling you to walk down this road. He's not telling you where you're going. He's not telling you how long it'll take. Just start walking. When he does, he obeys the Lord. He walks, and then he sees this Ethiopian eunuch who is a servant to Queen Candace of Ethiopia all going by on his chariot, and the Lord says, the Bible says, the Spirit of God inside him said, run, go and catch that chariot so he ran and he caught up to the chariot he begins a conversation with this man in the middle of the conversation the bible says and he opened his mouth and began to speak we've talked about this some of you heard me talk about this before but that's unusual isn't it that in the middle he's already been talking to the guy and all of a sudden it says and he opened his mouth and began to speak the same thing happens to peter 
when Peter's at Cornelius' house. He's already begun to talk to Cornelius. But when the time comes that God's got something to say, specifically to Cornelius and his household, then it says, and Peter opened his mouth and began to speak. It's odd that God would say they opened their mouth in the middle of a conversation. And of course, we take that for granted. Yeah, they're not ventriloquists. Of course, they're opening their mouth when they talk. But what's it talking about? It's talking about, I believe, divine utterance. In other words, God at that moment, I mean, they may have started the conversation, but there was a point in time where God filled their mouth with what they needed to say. The Apostle Paul asked the church to pray for him. And he says, I want you to pray this, that God would give me utterance in the opening of my mouth, that I may speak his word boldly and clearly as it ought to be spoke. I want you to hear what he said again. He said, I want, please pray for me that God would grant me utterance when I open my mouth. You see, his part is to do what? Open his mouth, right? Now, I'm not telling you you're going to walk to the mall and just go, uh, and all of a sudden you're supposed to talk. What I believe this means is you're letting God speak through you. You're the one. He's not going to put you in a trance and wiggle your tongue. You've got to say, all right, I'm willing to talk here. I'm willing to speak for you. I'll say what you want me to say. As he opened his mouth, then God filled their mouths with words to say. There was a moment when Peter and John were speaking, and they were defending themselves because a great miracle had taken place, and Strangely enough, when a great miracle took place, they had to answer for it as if it were a crime. And in that moment when they were being threatened, in that moment where uh, their lives were in danger, there was a great message that God brought through those guys, and they preached it powerfully. And the scripture says that people around them were amazed, recognizing that they were unlearned and untrained men but that they had been with Jesus. There was, a, there was a, a knowledge that these guys were uneducated, and yet they didn't speak as somebody uneducated because God spoke through these men, just down-home country fishermen, uneducated, and yet the Lord spoke through them. I think some of us put such limits on ourselves. Remember last week in 2 Corinthians 5, we read... From now on, we recognize no one after the flesh. Why? Because we are new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And all those new things are from God who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Or, or Sorry, I'll, I'll quote the whole thing. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So here, he's not saying, like I said last week, he doesn't say, and God gave that to everybody that had at least two years of postgraduate education. He didn't say he gave that to everybody who had a doctorate. He didn't say everybody had a master's. He didn't say everybody who had a GED. He said he put it in our mouths, the ministry of reconciliation. I'm not against education. I think it's a good thing. But I think we define education differently than God might define it. I was commenting this past few days to a pastor friend of mine, and I said, you know, do you ever just wish that we just, it started out by saying, wouldn't it be fun to work in a museum and just answer questions and do research? Wouldn't that be a fun job? He was like, that'd be a fun job. And I know that there's probably not a period in my life where that'll ever be my job, but, but that sounds like fun. Some of you just fantasize about doing 
different types of jobs, but that's my fantasy job, just work in a museum and do tour groups. That would be beautiful for me. I'd love to do that. Actually, this is my dream job. I'm saying that if, if there was any dr- job in the world, but I like this the best. I need to tell you that right now. But then I said, did you ever wish you just had years and years of extra education, just more education? He said, I thought that one time, and he says, as I was thinking that, Jesus corrected me. And I said, oh, Jesus corrects you. That's better listen when he does that. And he said, Jesus reminded me that one of the root words in the, in, in the English word education was from the Latin, which means to lead. To lead, to guide, to bring forth. And he said, I was reminded that that was the Holy Spirit's job, to lead us and guide us into all truth. In fact, 1 John says that it's the anointing that abides within. In other words, the Holy Spirit. It's the anointing that abides within that is able to teach you all things. So if you think you don't have proper education, you need to rethink who the Holy Spirit is in your life. Because you've been more educated than you think, or you should be. So as we think about that, let's keep reading from the spot that we just quoted. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Like we said last week, we were separated from God. That was our fault. We were separated from God from the moment that Adam sinned. And yet God did something through Jesus Christ. He reconciled us to himself. Now that'd be enough to celebrate about, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? That's the proper response. Good. I'm just making sure we're all on the same team here. That'd be enough to celebrate. He reconciled us to himself. We're brought back to life. We're brought back to the love. We're brought back to joy. We're brought back to the source of it all. But he didn't just reconcile you just to say, okay, now you're reconciled. He reconciled us and then gave us something. And what did he give us? The ministry of reconciliation. Here's what Jesus did. God, through Jesus Christ, reconciled the world back to himself. Now, here's our part. As the hands and feet of Jesus, as the body of Christ, we have been entrusted, we've been given a ministry, and that is the ministry of reconciliation. That's a big ministry. Now, we've talked about this about a year ago. We spent some time in this section of Scripture, quite a bit of time. And I hope you'll bear with me if we repeat some things, because this is, as we're reading through the book of 2 Corinthians, we've stumbled once again on this section. And I think it's worth rereading, and and some new things are going to come out, but embrace it as if it's the first time you've heard it. It's a huge deal that we've been given his ministry of reconciliation. That's that's our number one ministry. Now, first and foremost, our purpose is to know him, is to glorify him, is is to have a relationship with him. That's our first primary purpose as human beings, right? But one of our first tasks in life is to be a, a, a... a source is to be a channel, is to be an instrument of reconciliation between God and man. The good news is that Jesus did all the work so that you could be brought back to God. And the good news is that we are, get, we are the ones that get to spread the good news. We're the ones that get to go around and tell everybody, this is the new reality. This is the new covenant that God has brought you back to him through Jesus Christ. If you would believe, you get to receive that gift. 
Now watch what he says. He gave us his ministry in verse 19. He says this. He gave us a ministry, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. What a beautiful thought, isn't it? We were the ones that separated ourselves from God. We were the ones that did all the the wrong. We were the ones that rebelled. And yet God is the one that paid the price for it. God is the one that made the difference. He's the one that put it on himself to reconcile us. What a wonderful savior. He says this, God was in Christ bringing the world back to him, not counting their trespasses against them. Thank God. Because you think about it, He's a holy God. So if you still had trespasses on your account, you could not be brought back to God because you would not survive the encounter. So thank God he didn't count your trespasses against you. Why? Is it because he's suddenly okay with all that stuff now? No, it's because he punished it thoroughly and severely in Jesus Christ. Jesus paid the full price, not a family discount. He paid the full price for your sin. And it says this, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us. Now think about what it means to commit to somebody. He has passed something off to you. He has put something in your hands. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. This is important. The scripture says this, how will they believe if they've never heard? says how will they hear if no one's ever preached if there's not a preacher how will he preach unless he's sent right here we see this that God has a plan of reconciliation in our world today the first part of the plan is done and it's completed it's the big part which is that he paid that price for our sins he bore it on himself he died he rose again he conquered The next part of the plan is this. It has to be proclaimed so that it can be received. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, right? Without faith, you can't be saved. Because faith is what reaches out and grabs what God has freely given. And faith comes by what? Hearing, hearing what? Hearing the word of God. So you can't have faith if you haven't heard what God has said. And right here, what God has said is a wonderful thing. God is saying, I'm not counting your trespasses against you anymore. I'm bringing you back to myself. My son paid it all. Come back. What a wonderful message. And when we heard that message, when you heard that message, that there was forgiveness, that you could repent and be forgiven and brought back to Jesus, brought back to God through Jesus. When you heard that, you believed. And when you believed, you received it. And when you received it, you were born again. Now, God's method has not changed. His method is not to kidnap people in the middle of the night and reprogram them. His method is not to send angels to do all the work. His method has always been to send his people, his church, to proclaim this to the world. That's our message. That's our, that's, our, that's our joy and our honor to be a part of this. Listen to this. He said, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, and this is what it looks like. 
He doesn't just say, define it yourself. Whatever you think that looks like, you go do that. Oh, I think the Ministry of Reconciliation means huh, more cookies in the world. I, I think it means more positive cartoon programming. No, he tells you. This is what it looks like. Here's what the ministry is. It's, it's proclaiming that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And then he says, here's this part. He has committed to us this word, which means the only way that the world will be reconciled is if the people who have been given the word will proclaim the word. Do you know what it means to, to commit something to somebody? If I committed, if I committed a task to Logan, if, if, it were, if it were my goal and my mission to clean up 18th Street, I just wanted to clean it up. I, I wanted it to be the nicest looking street in all of Lloydminster because the church is on that street and I live on that street. It's my favorite street. I want that to look good. No offense to your streets, but they can't compare to 18th Street. We've got a gas station. We've got food. We've got everything. 18th is where it's at. So I'm, I, I care deeply about 18th Street, and I want it clean. And the city's not doing it, so I'm going to do it. And what if I said, this is my mission. I am going to see 18th Street spick and span, sparkling clean. And now I draft Logan, and Logan says, hey, man, I'm with you. I'm, I want to help you out. And I said, Logan, I've got to go away. But, but here's, I'm committing to you the task of making sure that this street is clean. And I'm going to be away now, but I'm giving you the task and, and all the tools that I have, I'm putting in your hands. Now go and make sure that street is clean. That's now my task has become his task. But not only has my task become his task, my tools have become his tools. Everything I have, I've given to him to do, get it done. In the same sense, it says that he had the word and he committed to us the word of reconciliation. There's a message of reconciliation that the world needs to hear. Are you guys still in the building, still awake? We're all good. Remind me of that from time to time so I know and keep going. That's the word we've been given. And the world needs to hear the word of reconciliation. You know, that's not the word that they're hearing from Christians on CNN most of the time. Now, some of them are, but you know, CNN has a way of kind of twisting it, right? And I'm just using CNN as a random example. The word that the media is presenting to them is that they Christians are just ticked off about everything. They're just generally mad. And they would rather you stay far away from them and their God. That's, that's the message that people are getting. We know it's not true, but it's the twist that they're hearing. And if they keep hearing that, do you know what we need to do? We need to be louder than that. We need to give them something. We need to show them. We need to speak louder than the other voices and say, this is the message. This is the word that God proclaims to you through us that God was in Christ reconciling the world back to him. And he has committed to us that word that he is not counting your trespasses against you anymore. If you would believe, he gives you the right to be called the children of God. What a wonderful message. Now look what he says in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador carries the name of the one that sent them. They carry the authority of the one that sent them. They represent the one that sends them. That has certain diplomatic privileges, doesn't it? 
That means that when he sends you out, just as he sent the disciples out, he said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He said, all authority has been given to me. In that, therefore, go. He would never send you without the authority you needed to get it done. As an ambassador of Jesus Christ, you carry his name. You represent his name. You carry his name. That's why he said you can pray in my name. And when you pray in my name, whatever you ask, I will give you that the Father may be glorified through the Son. Wow. And remember, praying in the name of Jesus doesn't just mean saying random things and then putting in the name of Jesus at the end like an abracadabra magic spell that gets it done. Then the prayer has to be according to the will of God. How do you know the will of God? You've got the word of God. You've got the spirit of God. So you don't just pray, Lord, I, w I pray that the sky would be full of jelly beans. He's in Jesus' name, amen. He's like, I have to do it. That wasn't a prayer in his name. That was a prayer in your name that you added his name to the end. You're basically forging his signature on that one. When we pray in his name... We pray out the will of God. If you don't know the will of God, look it up. If it's not in here, then the Bible says in Romans 8, when we pray in the Spirit, the Spirit prays out. When He says when we don't know how to pray, God prays, the Spirit prays through us in moanings and utterances too deep for words, and He prays out the perfect will of God. Well, that's cool. We are ambassadors for Christ, so does that include you? And that includes me. As though God, and this, this is the verse that I could dwell on for weeks and weeks and weeks. As though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You need to remember this. You, we need to walk more as ambassadors and less as fans. You're not, a, you're not a fan that's just spreading the word based on what you believe about Jesus. You're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. It carries, carries responsibility. It carries authority. Here, he says that when we preach this word, when we proclaim the word of reconciliation, and every believer is meant to be a proclaimer. You may not be a teacher. I understand that. You may not be, you may not be always with a microphone in your hand, but we are all meant to be proclaimers of the gospel. The gospel is meant to be proclaimed. In fact, there's other things that are meant to be taught, but the gospel in the scripture is meant to be proclaimed. Something that's shouted from rooftops. Something that's joyously spread from village to village, from city to city, from country to country. Here he says this. So God, we're making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. When I read this verse, I think of somebody that cares as much about the people they're talking to as God cares about them. I want you to see this word, beg. This is not a word we normally would use in relation to us, right? We wouldn't say, you know, it's kind of wimpy to go around begging people for things. But here he says, I beg you. On behalf of Christ. Now, why would he use language like that? Because he cares about them as much as Jesus does. That's how much he cares about them. Enough to beg. Be reconciled to God. 
I plead with you urgently. I need you to hear me on this. Be reconciled to God. But think about this. As though God were making an appeal through us. And I've said this before. Forgive me if you've heard it. But consider what would happen. Now think about those people in your life that you want, you want them to grow closer to God. You, you want them to know Jesus. Maybe they, they are firmly against the message of the gospel. Maybe they're firmly against Jesus. They're firmly against everything you stand for. Maybe they're self-proclaimed atheists, and that's not going to change as far as they're concerned. But think about these people. Now think about what you'd say if you wanted them to come to the Lord. Maybe what you already have said. But now think about this. What would happen if Jesus himself, if God himself, sat across the table from your friend, from your relative, and made his case and said, I want you to be reconciled to me, and here's what I've done. Here's why you need this. Can you imagine God just giving it half of something? Can you imagine God just, just kind of saying, you know, yeah, I don't want to step on my to your toes with my beliefs, but, uh, you know, can you imagine God doing that? What would God say to these people? Because the truth of the matter is, you might pray that God will knock them off a horse in the middle of the road. You may pray that God will show up and appear to them in the night, and he can do all of those things. But his primary method is to use his people. And he says here, it's as though God were making an appeal through us. It's not as though we're making an appeal. It's as though God were making his appeal through us. What would God say to your friend? What would God say to your relative? Because you may, and you may not know that answer. And it's pretty okay to say, I don't know. I'm not God. But here's the good news. If you make yourself available, he can and will speak through you and make his appeal through you. What a powerful appeal that must be for God himself, the maker of of the heavens and the earth, the creator of the person you're talking to, he knows them better than they know themselves. He's known them since before they were in their mother's womb. He's numbered every hair on their head. He's counted every tear they've cried. He knows things about their heart, about their brain, about their soul that they've not even begun to plumb the depths of. What do you think he'd say to them? The one who created them, the one who made them. And is it a bit shocking to you that he does want to say those things, but he wants to say it through people? And that person may be you, as though God were making an appeal through us. And this tells me two things. Like I said before, I'll just recap them. Number one, that he gives us the compassion and the love for that person that he has for them. Because we're not just parrots without emotion, mimicking what, he, what he's saying, except saying it with nothing no feeling, no heart. He gives us the love that he has, the Father's love that he has, we have. But not only that, he has given you the word of reconciliation, which means he is more than willing to speak through you and make his appeal through you. Can you trust God to do that? Can you make yourself available to do that? Now, you don't have to be a weirdo flaky pants to go in and just kind of roll your eyes in the back of your head and then go, ah, I want you to listen, God's speaking through me, because that's not the way it's going to happen. That's a real good way to have your friends run away and then tell all their friends how absolutely whacked out you are. 
That's going to come through you. You're the vessel. Your voice might not change. Your accent will remain the same. I always get a little suspicious of people that start praying all of a sudden they have a Texas accent. They sounded from Saskatchewan before, but when they begin to pray, God, I just thank you, Lord. Oh, praise God. I'm like, where'd you come from? <laughs> no, it'll sound like you. He's not bypassing you. He's going through you. But he'll give you the words you didn't know. He'll give you wisdom you didn't have. I'll tell you what to say. How does he do that? You have the spirit of God inside of you. Trust it. Just be led by that spirit. There's things you don't know that he knows. I've often said this, and it's a good lesson to learn. Sometimes it takes us too long to learn it. But you know, the more we think about what we're going to say to somebody, the more we tend to mess it up. Because what happens is, We've been having the same argument with people for a year, two years, maybe most of our lives. And they've got their arguments down and you've got their arguments down and, and nowhere in between do you ever meet. <laughs> because they've got a nice little fortress that they've built up. And this fortress is where they put all their, all their arguments and they've built up walls. They've dug trenches. They've built a double wall so that you'll never penetrate those defenses. But here's what God knows that they don't know. God knows the, the back way around. He knows things, and he has ways to reach them that may not come through the same argument you've had over and over again. If they continue to argue, life is an accident, this was all, we are all just a happy mistake, there is no creator, and you're constantly arguing with them on that point, perhaps God wants to speak to them on a different point, altogether that they would know he's God, and that he would reach their hearts, and then those other walls can be dealt with, but maybe he's going to have you speak about something totally different. Maybe it's going to come out of a conversation that has nothing to do with what you think the message should start with. Sometimes we're so formulaic. We come at them, you know, with this prepared conversation that we learned. And, and you know, we have the, a booklet that tells us step by step by step. And those aren't bad things. But if you lean on those things, then you tend to do all of the work with your brain. And your brain just isn't big enough for the job. God wants to speak through you, and his thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So get your head out of the way and let him speak through your spirit. Let him use your mouth, but let it come from here. That's completely possible. <laughs> there have been audiences that I've been asked to speak in front of, and I'm sure most of you have had the same situation. There were groups of people I spoke out of where there were no believers in the audience, and, and nobody had any inclination to believe. And I was asked to preach the gospel to them. And it's one thing when they haven't heard the gospel. It's another thing when they've heard the gospel and they've resisted it. But you know, if you spend your whole time thinking about what you're going to say, thinking, 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 you're way too obvious. And you usually approach with the same old argument they already heard before. But it tends to be when you let the Spirit do the talking, he may say the same thing you were going to say, but in a different way. Or he may come at a totally different angle because he's God and he knows how. He knows what they need to hear at the right time in the right way. And he opens blind eyes and he shines light that, that things they didn't see before and maybe the same words you've said before, but all of a sudden it hits them in a new way. And his Holy Spirit's able to touch them where you can't touch them, which is right there in the heart 
Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 2 that when Peter preached the gospel and he preached this message that those folks that were there, it says they were pierced to the heart. They were pierced to the heart. It cut right past their preconceived notions. It cut past their prejudices and it hit them right in the heart. It says later when Stephen gave his account in Acts chapter 7, to those that were resisting and had a hardened heart to the gospel, it says when he preached the gospel, it cut them to the quick. With the first group, they fell on their knees and said, what must we do to be saved? With the second group, they got angry and wanted to kill him. But either way, God hit them right in the heart. And people have these intellectual walls and boundaries that they, they've got these things and they don't want to hear what you have to say and they've already reasoned it out. But you know what? They've never been able to fully put that wall around their heart. God can hit them right there. And they still have the choice. They can fall down and say, what must I do to be saved? Or they can act like those Pharisees and get angry with you and cuss you out and, and I want to kill you. But at least you brought them to the point of decision. And at least they came in contact with Jesus himself. And you know what? The rest isn't your business. The rest isn't your job. It's not your job to save people. That's God's job. Your job is to proclaim the message of the gospel and let God speak through you. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Wow. The one who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become what? The righteousness of God in him. That's who we are. And that's the message we preach, that he knew no sin, but God made him to be sin so that we would be righteous through him. Not just slightly righteous, but we would be the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is not something you ever could attain to. It is something that must be given, and it was given through Jesus Christ. Now let's close with this next verse. Next two verses, sorry. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. That means without effect, without power. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, what does behold mean? Look, look here, pay attention. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What would happen if we lived in the reality, and some of you do already, if you live in the reality that tomorrow is not the day of salvation, that next week is not the day of salvation, that someday when God does something different, no, today, now is the day of salvation. This is the acceptable time. This is the time to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. This is the time when he is more than willing to come and reach out and take you into his arms if you would just believe. This is the day of salvation. If this is the day of salvation, we need to be the ones saying, today is the day. This is the day of salvation. Don't wait for tomorrow. Don't wait for something else to happen. Don't wait till you're closer to death as you might think. Well, I'll wait till I'm old. No, now is the day. This is two parts, guys. Because that little, that little important but quick 
warning or, or exhortation or whatever you want to call it. That statement, now is the day of salvation. That's a statement to those that need to be saved. But it's also a statement to those that are saved, that people need to be saved. Now's the day. This is the day. Now I'm going to go tell people, this is the day of salvation. And God's ready to receive you. Come on. What are you waiting for? But I'm also going to say it to myself, Jonathan, what are you waiting for? There are people that need to hear this message of reconciliation. Now's the day of salvation. Let's go get some people saved. Let's go see them born again. There's some people drowning that need to be rescued, and you've got the life vest. You've got that, that little whatever that circle is. What is that called? Lifesaver. We eat those as can. Of course. You've got the lifesaver. Man, thank God. Isn't this good news? It's good news. It's good news. Man, I'm so thankful that we've been given good news. So, so thankful we don't serve the God of death. Where <laughs> we've been given the unfortunate task to go around and tell everybody, <laughs> wish I could do something, but you're all going to hell. There's no chance. <laughs> Sorry, just thought you should know. Enjoy the days while you're alive, because afterwards, no, I'm glad. The messages we get to spread is actually really good news. The Lord has done what needs to be done for you to be brought back to him. Would you believe? Would you confess him as Lord and be saved? Thank you, Jesus.